Welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 25. And actually, it's just me for the first bit this week. Leanne, Lisa and I are all feeling a bit sad after the passing of the Jobs for Families legislation last week. Uh, We weren't really up for a standard episode and we've decided to do something else. Uh, When it was clear the government's appalling early childhood reforms were being passed, the first thing we all did was start talking to each other. That's what you do when you get bad news. Get on the phone, on email, on Twitter, mostly with us, and talk it out. Commiserate even. So when we thought about planning this episode, we thought about those listeners out there who maybe don't have that opportunity. Maybe your colleagues aren't really into politics or you don't have friends that you talk to about this stuff. Well, this week we're inviting you all into a range of conversations we had with a bunch of our friends in the sector. You're going to hear from them and us as we reflect on and process what these reforms, in inverted comments, mean. Uh, hopefully you'll feel like you're part of the conversation as well. So let's move straight on to our first chat, um, which is one that Lisa had with Dr. Red Ruby Scarlett. So what's your reaction to the childcare package? On one hand, I'm not surprised because I think that over time, conservative governments are always hedging away what happens for children. And I think the perception of where children should be and who should be bringing them up, it's really clear in conservative, you know, generalising, of course, that conservative ways of thinking are that women should be at home with their children. So it's not no surprise in that sense. I think that the extent to which um, policies have been rolled back since the last Labor government have been significant. I understand that Labor hasn't always been perfect, but I think they have tried to make huge steps between majorly conservative climates like, you know, 11 years of Howard and then a little bit of Labor, and now we've got this other chunk of Liberals which are kind of winding those big policy moves back. So on one hand, I'm not surprised, but on the other hand, I thought that originally the way that this particular government thought about women that they might have been a little bit more respectful about the relationship that early childhood education plays in having women in the workforce and um, growing the economy which is what they're on about all the time so on one hand it's a bit of a juxtaposition and they look a bit silly on the other hand I'm not surprised how I feel in terms of the reality of everyday lives, I think that we know for sure, and people like you and others have been, you know, social commentary have been saying for years that the most disadvantaged children are going to suffer. And we're seeing that in a global political climate in the US, we're seeing how people are literally dying because of poverty. People are literally dying because they're not getting access to things that should be a right, like education and care, we are going to see that happen here in Australia. And that may sound drastic, but it will be the reality of some families. So if you had to... Yeah, like, one of the reasons why we're doing these interviews with people is because we see that we're really depressed about it. And when you're depressed, you talk to your friends. So, you know, your friends help you cheer you up. What can be done about it? What can we what can we latch onto as a positive? You know, is there advocacy actions that you think we can be taking, or how can we counteract it? I think that there. I'm always a naive optimist, and that I kind of like that about myself sometimes because it will make me take risks and take actions that I might not otherwise do if I thought them through well enough. <laughs> I think we heard Kate Ellis stand at the press club and say we need an absolute revolution we need a complete reform for this scrambled egg who was it your yeah, egg or yeah. her egg no it was her it was an easter egg yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so someone had an egg 
But that egg, we need to get back onto that egg. We need to hold labour to that public statement. And what we do is we get cranky with the government and we express our feelings of crankiness. Sometimes we do that without knowing the nuances or the details. And it's tricky to keep up, but it's important to keep up as part of the job. So I would say that the second thing is I would be working on labour as much as I would be working on the government because labour will come next or potentially will come next. So we need to not wait for them to get in and then see what they do. We need to be on the forefront of saying, look at all the things that do not align with these values that are better for the country, that are better for the economy, etc., etc. And we need to be in their ears now. And I mean, I think this is a point that you've made many times, others have made many times, is that childhood isn't sexy. Childhood isn't money-making. Childhood isn't, you know, children are a cost to us all. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the way that this Conservative government sees them. I think Labor has erred on seeing children as contributing now, participating now, active citizens now. And we got that into national quality frameworks. We've got that into some of our professional lingo in some places. So I think finding those things that we really love, finding those things that we... Uh, are attached to in value and thinking about how would I communicate this to a politician to say, here's what we want for children, here's what you achieved before, now we need it to look like this. Sounds good to me. Okay, final question. Do you think we will ever manage to explain that childcare is about early education? Call me naive. I have to... I have to I have to live my life thinking that we will. I've got a fun little story. When the EYLF first came out, um, it was 2000 and... It came out in 2009. It was 2010 and I was working in a children's centre and a parent had been to the dentist that morning and for whatever reason, some clever early childhood teacher had put um, the EYLF on a pile of magazines in the dentist office and so that parent sitting there ready for root canal therapy <laughs> has actually started reading the EYLF and came in and went, oh, this is the EYLF. And so this was a wonderful moment going, put your, get your curriculum in your dentist's office, your doctor's <laughs> office, wherever there's a magazine next to the dunny, anywhere you go. Because suddenly this parent came in, admittedly, you know, she was educated and middle class, but still she... A new conversation opened up and it helped yep. us with what we're not very good at and you can hear me squiggling here is how we communicate really clearly early childhood education parent government we need to lobby government for big picture policy and for dollars and for structures and systems families are actually going to be our best advocates we've just got to figure out how to find that meeting place because families are all over the country Okay, so you've heard it from Red there, get families to be advocates, get them to understand that childcare is about early education and they'll do our work for us. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs>to Ariane Plough. He's a long-term um, early childhood professional and someone who has a great interest in uh, children's education and training for um, educators within the sector and also someone who has a great um, perspective on social justice. So Ariane, I'm interested in what your reaction is to the package and the, that the legislation will pass. 
Hi, Leanne. Um, hope you're well. Um, the biggest thing for me within this package is the fact, that, and it really is uh, government wide at this at this point in time that their focus really is on getting people into the workforce either workforce or training and the fact that the activity test is there so that's kind of one thing but also with their push of getting people into the workforce is that they've actually forgotten that uh, early childhood education actually exists so it's about getting children into childcare rather than actually promoting the benefits of getting children into early childhood education and everything that, that surrounds that. So that's really my biggest concern and certainly, yeah, the activity test is is uh, is secondary to that for me. It's, it's really, first of all, is the focus on education and then second of all is the activity test that, and how that will actually impact on families. Yeah, so families, uh, we probably see a number of children who will be uh, put outside of the system um, and, and we might see even that happening in a greater way in New South Wales where we have such high um, preschool costs. So we'll see children sort of being put outside the childcare uh, system and then also the preschool system, so effectively outside early education and care. You were talking uh, before we, we started recording about the impact that this will have on disadvantaged children. So do you want to just talk about that? Yeah, so, I mean, the benefits of early childhood education, I think most of the people listening to this show and certainly to yourselves is that that's pretty well known. But the fact is, is that also for early childhood education is particularly important for disadvantaged families and they're the ones that are going to be hit hardest by what's actually happening here. The people that can actually afford to pay are usually you know, putting it very generally, people that are more educated, have more access to support, um, won't get impacted by activity tests and having to be in the workplace, have more time, have uh, better strategies to deal with life's up and downs, yet those disadvantaged children are the ones that really need to be in those centres so they can get the best the best start um, to their lives. Yeah, best start to their lives. That's the most important thing. That's great. And what do you think you would um, personally um, do to highlight people's awareness and maybe take some action over this? And what would you encourage others to do? Um, for me, the advocacy for me personally behind this, or personally and professionally, is the fact that even when I'm talking to my parents or to my family or friends or whoever I'm talking to, everybody's Everybody is talking about the workforce and getting back in there and talking about childcare where um, I personally will highlight the benefits of early childhood education and going, well, this is what the benefits actually are. Yes, you're paying for it, but first and foremost for me is highlighting the benefits of early childhood education. What comes behind that I think will change a whole lot of your thinking behind it because if you're saying, well, early childhood education is good, then it also might mean that it doesn't childcare isn't just then set up just for families to actually work. So it, it kind of alters your perspective if you've got that framework in place to say, no, this isn't just childcare, this is actually early childhood education. Your framework is slightly shifted and that's the biggest thing for me. So it sounds like you're going to be keeping children central to your conversations with others. And is that what, are there any other suggestions you'd have for, for the sector in, in advocating for education and for children? Well, well I think uh, people can, uh, 
obviously do the same kinds of things so that they can easily talk to their family and friends about, you know, what early childhood education actually means and the benefits to children and roll out those statistics about how much money, you know, can be spent. The, the money that's spent now is going to be those savings going forward into the future. And, of course, there's the, the political bent as well that you can contact state members and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, for me, it's it's definitely more the grassroots that if we get a broader understanding of um, early childhood within our communities, then we've got a stronger base to people going, no, this childcare thing doesn't make any sense. This is actually education. Fantastic. So working from the ground up, that's great. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention, Ariana? Uh, no, I think, I think I'm think i good. <laughs> Grassroots. <laughs> well, thank you very much for um, talking to the Early Education Show and actually talking about that kind of grassroots advocacy because that has such a great impact. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you very much. Great. The show is great and um, glad to be a part of it. <laughs> thank you. Hey, it's Liam here from the Early Education Show, and I've got two more fantastic early childhood people to talk to, and I'm going to let them introduce your, introduce themselves. Off you go. Uh, hi. Um, hi, Liam. I'm Bridget Mitchell, and I'm an early childhood teacher based in Sydney. Hi, I'm Tamika Hicks, and I am an early childhood educator based in Melbourne, and I've been in the sector for 16 years and across a multitude of of different roles ranging from a Cert 3 educator, director, group leader, area manager. I've worked for state government on the early years portfolio for a period of nine months and also worked in the TAFE sector. And I think for the purposes of this show, most importantly, you're both uh, extremely fantastic advocates for early childhood education in a variety of different roles. So thank you both for uh, coming on the on the show to... I guess commiserate a bit about the the recent passing of the jobs for families package. So we've uh, Lisa Leanne and I have talked to a whole bunch of people this week, um, and you know, Bridget, I'd, I'd love to start with you because I know you've very interestingly for the last little while you've actually been working in rural and regional communities in we're actually working with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander children and families. What I mean, and, and you can talk about a whole range of stuff, but, you know, but obviously the the, the package is going to have a particularly poor impact on. The Aboriginal Child and Family Centres, you know, having worked in those that, those sort of environments, what does what does this sort of mean to you that this package is now law? Well, um, I worked in a child and family centre um, that was funded under the National Partnership Agreement, as um, many people listening might know, um, and the centre was one of the quite a number across Australia, I think in Western Australia and Victoria, that had lost their um, funding and they it wasn't reinstated. And the centre was an extremely important part for such a remote town in Fitzroy Crossing in um, Western Australia. And so it was a predominantly Aboriginal town with surrounding communities. And what that centre did was give um, affordable access to everyone working in the town and everybody who was in the town should they need to access a high quality early education and care setting and saw children from all different backgrounds and there were children who were under the care of the DCP and children who had experienced um, trauma 
um, children who were, um, you know, had families who were working in um, management roles in Aboriginal corporations. So it was enabling people to get out into the community and also have access to um, health checks and um, all sorts, a number of parent groups. And it was essentially um, providing amazing outcomes, even though in Western Australia, children could start school at the age of four. But this was a model of, um, if you could say, um, best practice um, early childhood education, um, not necessarily a watered down school version. And do you know, so under so obviously the, the, the budget-based funding changes will mean that a whole range of Aboriginal child and family centres will close. I mean, do you know if the, the, the centre you, you actually worked at, uh, Bridget, is that, do they know whether they're sort of funding secure for the, in the near future? Uh, no, not at present. Um, they'd been um, looking at a, a range of avenues for funding and... The hard thing was that they couldn't go with the Jobs for Families package and they were hesitant to go with anything that would be um, a benefit like um, the childcare rebate or um, the CCR. And they wanted to... I think they just didn't want to go with the Jobs for Families package, but they felt as though they were getting pushed into it um, to get funding. Yeah. Um, yeah. They weren't being given it, much choice. Yeah. No. And, and I think, and I'll just jump in there, Liam. Yeah. Back in 2014, the federal government did an evaluation of the Aboriginal Child Family Centres, and the summary of that evaluation showed that the a high percentage of them weren't viable, and they were just left. It was almost like the federal government back then just threw their hands up in the air and didn't want to continue funding them, even though there was no agreement that the states had to pick up that funding yeah. shortfall. So there's been so many services that have just been plodding along and filling gaps, you know, putting, filling gaps is probably quite, um, it, it is quite something to say because, you know, the it's just been horrendous. and For some communities, this was the safest place for children and families. Exactly, in that area. exactly. Yeah. And, and, I don't, and I know the stats with the budget-based funded services in Victoria, just speaking on a Victorian level, you know, it's, 400, it's over 400 kinder places and 1,000 places, over 1,000 places all up. And it's an incredible amount of children. And if... And, and not just looking at the at what we already know in terms of the value of that education in those early years, if we're looking at the outcomes of those children later on in life uh, being welfare dependent, for example, the government's just not looking at the future, you know, potential future of these children and, and what it's going to cost versus the cost of putting the money in investing now to make sure that they get... Um, the best start. It's just absolutely mind-blowing that yeah. they do not value this part of their life. And look, Tamika, uh, it sounds like you're already well on this train, so I'm going to segue nicely into turning to you. And you know, Tamika, particularly for you, you've you know been engaged sort of politically at a range of levels, both you know you know uh, working in um, working with ministers and but also just as an advocate with the system as well. What's, you know, what's having followed this package, you know, over the last couple of years, what's your sort of general view um, 
on the I guess the the, the political you know changes and the, and, the, and the political sort of aspect of this stuff. It's just I just cannot for the life of me understand why this country or why this government is so backwards on valuing child outcomes, especially disadvantaged child outcomes. You know they've slashed. You know, Gonski is gone and they're not even looking at or they haven't even secured the 15 hours or committed to 15 hours of kinder funding when every other uh, country that's kicking goals and going forward is investing more hours. I mean, to have New Zealand in front of us in terms of value of early childhood education and um, investment that they give the early years is it's embarrassing you know uk have been giving um three-year-olds funding for a lot longer and more funding than what we do our four-year-olds and if you look at all the other countries that are investing more they're getting better outcomes and we're still sitting at a level at just a basic level where we can't even commit to 15 hours of funding it just i i just cannot understand um, the reasoning behind their lack of policy with early education. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. So I mean, one of the big things we've talked about, I mean, one of the big themes of this, this podcast, but also particularly the, the Jobs for Families package has been the role of of advocacy. And I've been, you know, <laughs> I haven't been making friends in terms of large sector organisations, their advocacy, but I'd love to talk to both of you and maybe you first, Brigitte. What's, you know, you've you've both been advocates um, and, I've been, <clears throat> and I first uh, got to know you guys <laughs> primarily on Twitter, which is how I know most of my people. I don't have any friends in real life. They're, they're all on Twitter. But um, <laughs> through the Big Steps campaign, so focusing on, you know, educators standing up for themselves. So, um you know what do you, you know, Brigitte? Maybe starting with you, but I'd love to hear from you as well after that, Tamika. What do you think educators are aware enough of of this kind of stuff? And and if not, are you are you are you hopeful there might be a big advocacy push? You know, at a at a, I'd love I'd love it to come directly from the sector rather than having to rely on on organisations to do this for us because I don't think they're necessarily giving us the best outcome in this case. Are you hopeful that there might be a bit of a a push in the sector for advocates? You know, for educators themselves to become advocates. Yeah, so I'm I'm really hopeful that um, whilst this is um, really terrible news for um, our sector, um, that it will be um, a chance for younger educators or just educators newer to the sector to find their voice. Um, I think often um, people may avoid um, politics or may avoid all the doom and gloom in regard to funding for early education and care, but the people working in centres um, are seeing families and building the relationships with children and families and so they're seeing um, the benefits of what early education and care can do for children and they know through their study that um, just all the benefits that it can give and um, I think they would all know that a package called the Jobs for Families package <laughs> would never be about early childhood education and care. And it's not really that hard to work out, is it? No, no, and um, I think that's where, um, the, where the, I guess the key lies for um, further advocacy. So I guess it takes um, people who are maybe a little bit more um, fired up or had the fire lit under them to have a little conversation with educators and um, invite them to be part of submissions or part of actions, I guess. Um, it, it is a part of our job, isn't it? It's all part of the code of ethics it is yeah i'm sure we could name and a few other um my brain's not working but yeah we can 
no, it's a big part of our role. Big part of our role. Yeah. What about you, Tameka? Well, I, I could talk about this all night because I really think <laughs> I get really fired up and I'll, I might get a little bit fired up now. The problem that we have in our sector is that we are so fragmented and we don't have an overarching um, person, body, group, organisation that brings everyone together. It's almost like we need to have a round table of all of our sector advocates and all of the organisations and everyone who the who, who is the who's who of the sector sitting around and coming up with some common goals. And then those common goals then can be broken down a little bit. You don't want to break things down too much because as I've seen with other um, groups and campaigns that have um, started and not got that far is that people in the room can't even agree to a message or they can't agree to um, uh, whatever the common goal is that they're trying to get to. Because the, pro the problem with our sector is, is that we've got parents that we have to get across the line and we've got educators that we've got to get across the line to then push that agenda politically. And the message that we send to educators is not necessarily going to be the same message that we send to parents. But why can't we get like something together um, that is a campaign that can be pushed nationally? We all know what Gonski is, and we all agree what Gonski. You know, we all agree with Gonski. And we've got a very strong union pushing Gonski, but we don't have a very strong union within early childhood, and that's a big problem. We've got a great message out there and a message that um, people agree with, but then we don't have educators that are willing to stand up and back their union. So who is going to be the unifier of our sector to drive it forward? Because 10 years ago, we... We're still all advocating for disadvantaged children. We were still wanting better quality. We were still wanting better qualifications and quality com qualifications from um, RTOs and TAFEs. We were still wanting better pay. Um, but whilst we are making inroads and we are, we are getting better at what we do, the rate that we are going, we're still going to be arguing this in 10 years' time. So what is that unifier that is going to bring everyone together to drive this campaign and message forward about the overarching goal, investing in the early years gets better outcomes? Yeah, whoever can solve that gets a big, big uh, thumbs up from me. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it so hard? <laughs> We'd have to Why devote a whole... We'll have to get you back on for a whole episode about that, Tamika and Brigitte. But um, before we <laughs> before we we wrap up, I might go back to just each of you individually. So, um, and probably Leanne, Lisa, and I have not been helpful in this. But for those who are feeling a bit depressed or sad about the outcome of this, me being one of them, you know, if you could really quickly just each of you give you know a bit of I don't know a bit of advice or a bit of inspiration for those of everyone who's out there listening today, wondering what the next step is. What what would you what would you recommend? You know, what's one thing they could go out and do in the next few weeks? Um, I could say more than one. I'd say um, be proud of yourself as an early childhood professional and um, in the work that you do. And you use your voice. You do have a voice to speak up on issues that uh, 
will affect you and your work with children and your children and everybody, really. And um, I'd say to that um, to be informed, just um, read a little bit more, make an effort to um, find out things, ask questions and... um, yeah, if everybody did that, imagine how much more together we'd be. And, yeah, hopefully having better outcomes for children. That'd be amazing. Mm. What about you, Tamika? Mm. I think for educators out there, you know, be proud of what you do. Understand and realise what you hold in your hand every day in terms of um, what you do, the importance of it talk to each other, have robust conversations and debates in the staff room about what you do. Get, as Bridget said, read more, get more educated um, politically. And if everyone who says, oh, you know, I'll just leave the politics to someone else, you're in the politics every day and you've you've got to be aware of that. And, And the other thing is talk to families, talk to families about what you do because one of the big things is The community perception of what we do needs to change and shift. And the only way we can shift that is talking to parents and educating them about what we do. Absolutely. Brigitte Mitchell, thank you both so much. Uh, Brigitte Brigitte and Tamika, sorry. Thank you so much (laughs) for coming on. It's been another long day. Brigitte, for coming on the show. Um, As part of my ongoing quest to get everyone involved in early childhood onto Twitter as well, you are both uh, fantastic and vocal advocates on Twitter and the links to your accounts will be in the show notes for today's episode on the website. So make sure everyone listening, please go and follow uh, Brigitte and Tamika. But uh, thanks you two for, for, for coming on and and uh, getting around the campfire with us on this one. We'll, um, we'd, we'll definitely have you back for a bit of a longer stint on the show later on. Thank you both. Thanks, Liam. Bye. I'm with Scott, uh, who's an economist, and he is going to give a perspective on economic outcomes as a result of investing in children and in education. So I'm not talking with him specifically about the legislation, but more in what the um, investment would represent as an outcome. Hi, Leanne. It's well known in economic research that... Investing at the beginning of a process delivers you far bigger outcomes at the end. Children are the beginning of our process. And uh, clearly, the leverage is much better to invest at the beginning where a child is developing to give them good structures to build on to give you that multiplier effect later on in life. So what about um, when we're talking about disadvantaged children? I mean, we're, we're always harping on about the investment that needs to be made in, in, in disadvantaged families, I suppose, and children of those families. Is it, can you explain, Economics 101, what the value is in, in investing at that stage in children's lives, given that they may not have the same advantages that other children have? The... The benefit of giving children um, the ability to take advantage or to create their own opportunities is not incalculable, but very, very large. It allows you to 
have fewer support structures later in life. It means that you don't have to deal with the social costs of substance abuse in the same way, of broken families, of um, people who can't um, maintain their educational trajectories. Um, all of these are drags and costs on society. They come out in government budgets as well as in the, uh, the, the, the friction which it creates between people within societies and structures that, that, that keep us moving forward and coping with the environment we're living in. All of those things mean the rest of us who aren't subject to those drags or who had better opportunities um, have to support the people who didn't. If we start at the beginning and work to prevent those outcomes from the very beginning, the investment is so much less. In dollar terms, it's much, much smaller than having an entire structure of mental health institutions, for example, who have to cater to adults who can't cope with society as they find it. If you invest in a child's well-being, they grow up more balanced. They have more ability to use language, to use maths, to learn in the system which they are placed in. Regardless of whether there's the best system or not, they are better able to cope with it. That gives you better opportunities for them to then advance their education, to gain social skills, to gain skills about uh, building families which they may not see in their own families they may not have good models around them if we can invest at an early stage to provide those models to give them those skills then they are much better set to take advantage of that in the future so then why do you think there's a reluctance uh, from government and from uh, some politicians at this stage to make that investment or even to not have that foresight? It's fundamentally an issue which does not loom large in the minds of people who are focused on being re-elected. It is not a short-term issue which they can say, look what I've done. It is a very long-term investment in a nation. Um, and... It doesn't have a visible edifice or building or you know, piece of infrastructure which you can point out and say, look what I've achieved for you. And people, um, all people, not just politicians, don't work well on long-term goals. They tend to, we all tend to, prefer to see short-term results because that's how we're geared. We're geared for um, an environment where we have to work and grab what we can see and take advantage of it. And we haven't evolved to cope with our current relative age of plenty. Um, that means that we are just generally quite poor at investing for the long term. So we've got a fairly short-sighted view at this stage. Essentially, yes. So, being opportunist, opportunistic here, would you give uh, the legislation, uh, as an economist, would you give the legislation a thumbs up 
or a thumbs down? I am not familiar enough with the legislation to give it anything. But if it hinders um, putting more resources into providing services to ensure that our children are um, developed and supported in their early lives, then it's definitely not a long-sighted piece of legislation. Thanks for talking to us. Talking now to Kate Washington, the Shadow Minister for Early Childhood Education in New South Wales. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Very well, thank you, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning. Look, we decided that we're so depressed after the package passed last week, after the Jobs for Families package, that we do what depressed people always do and go to our friends and say, what can we do? What did you think about it? So what did you think about the package? Well, I, I, I guess I'll start from the outset saying that because it's a federal package, it's the complexities I haven't gone into. But saying that, it is enormously complex. <laughs> so I think everybody's struggling just with the initial understanding of what it actually means on the ground. Um, so, yes, it, it was really disappointing to see it passed. It's now a case of what can we do to try and make the sector work best for children and for families. Yeah, I think it, the complexity is, you know, is one of the problems. And as we know, a lot of the rules haven't yet been written, like the minister's rules, the secretary's rules. That's where, you know, the rubber will hit the road and that isn't yet available to people. Absolutely. I mean, and the detail is always the most critical element of everything that we do. And to not even have that after so long in the production of this, <laughs> it just beggars belief that it's not all out there to be seen. It does really. I, I hadn't actually thought about that till um, Kate Ellis said that on our podcast last week, that it made sense that the first time they introduced it to Parliament, because it was done so quickly, that it didn't have any detail. But a few years later, to still be in that position is, like, that's really bad public policy formation, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. But we're seeing it in state government all the time as well. We've got Regulation. Well, we've got legislation that's been passed without the regulation, and um, and for example, it's the Biodiversity Act. We don't actually have the details behind it, and yet it's coming into force in July. So it just it just it it, it it happens all the time, and I'm quite astonished in this role to see how poor it is. So for me, it looks like it's more about the politics and making the appearance of doing the work, whereas it doesn't, the impact for the people on the ground, it's not apparent, um, certainly not when the legislation's passed. So is it bad bureaucracy or is it being, or is it politicians being too demanding of the bureaucracy? I don't think it's that. <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see much of the, uh, of, of adequate, um, responsibility perhaps being placed on the bureaucrats um, by, by ministers but I mean I, I'm not privy to that side of things so it's only from my <laughs> from my outside looking in that it 
yes, it looks like the bureaucrats perhaps aren't doing their job, but you don't know what interference is being run by the ministerial roles as well. Sure, yeah. And it's, um, and it's, it's yeah, when sometimes you get to speak to some of the bureaucrats and you see their frustration um, and that sometimes the ministers themselves aren't listening to the bureaucrats. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so you just don't know which way it's going. Yeah, for sure. So looking at how you think the package will impact on New South Wales um, children and families, have you had any time to think about that? Well, yeah, and I, I keep trying to think of it in the in the broader context of the whole sector and all the different offerings we have in the sector, um, and what it actually what it actually achieves, if anything. And and you you just think, well, it hasn't really addressed the access issue. No, it hasn't. <laughs> yep. And it hasn't. It hasn't addressed workers' pay levels. Oh, why would you address them in the major change to childcare funding in you know, 20 years? Indeed, why would you? Um, <laughs> um, just, just, it's just one of the most fundamental things just sitting there that everyone, that they don't seem to want to talk about. Um, and, you know, and then, and has it, has it really addressed the cost factor for families? And perhaps... Yes, it has for some to an to an extent um, for those that are doing okay, but for those that aren't doing okay, the families where you, you know you're struggling to get work, um, it might be that mum chooses not to work. God forbid, um, you know, for those families, things aren't going to be any better, and in fact, some of them will be worse. And for me, that's not good policy. It's certainly not good law. Yeah. I think no one would disagree with you from the early education show. So where do you think, what advocacy do you think we should be doing in the future? Where do we go from here? Well, it, uh, so it must be extraordinarily frustrating for the early ed sector and the advocacy that they've been doing because it's fallen on deaf ears um, and, and uh, and over many years, and it must be. I just, <laughs> I just, uh, I admire the tenacity and the resilience in the sector just to keep on, keep on, keeping on. Because, and I, and I can see why, because everyone in the sector knows how important it is, and that's what drives everybody to keep banging the drum and saying, you know, value us because we do the most important thing that you can do. Um, but, but that's that's continually not heard or reflected in the in in changes to the sector. So in terms of going forward, I suppose I'm looking at from a state perspective, what can we do, or what should we be doing to make, well, to focus, to bring the focus back on the kids. That would be good. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a novel yeah. idea. Um, and also to, to like to me, what's absolutely critical is developing in all politicians, regardless of their persuasion, the understanding that childcare is actually where early education happens, and that early education is critical to all other yes. education, and in fact to the development of human beings, and for social good, and to re and the reduction of inequality in our community, which hello is actually good for everyone. So, <laughs> hello. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely. You're right. It, there is some real need for um, education of policy makers. And I know that I'm going to be, that's, that's certainly the conversations I'm having on our side of the fence in New South Wales opposition, because it's not understood, because it's all, everyone, everyone still does assume, sadly, that it's more about workplace and workforce participation rather than what it actually achieves. Yeah, and I think this package has put that back at, at least another 10 years. Absolutely, because even its title, what is it, Jobs for Families? Yeah. Like, was, it just, you go, okay, there's kids kids in there somewhere. Yeah, not, <laughs> Very not small sure. part of it. Yeah. Um, so we've sort of got to bring that focus back. So in a, in a state perspective, our, our responsibility is largely in the preschool sector and the squeeze has been on that sector in New South Wales, particularly for for ages and under this government it's just got it seems to have got worse so uh, in terms of policy formulation on our side we want to create a more support, uh, sustainable sector and one that um, can be more accessible and affordable yeah so so that there is another there is an alternative offering because long daycares are heading down a path of corporatization and the and market forces are driving that and, and but preschools, there's still great opportunity there to allow them to flourish and do what they do best, which is to deliver quality early childhood ed. So that's that's sort of where where I'm turning my attention. That sounds good. Let's hope you're successful, and let's hope you're successful at that educating of other politicians about mm. the importance of early education and why it really matters, especially, mm. as you said, in that inequality space. Mm. Because you're right, it starts with them and then they need, to, they need to be communicating it to the broader community so that then, because that's the only way there's going to be changes, as, as I say, is when we can get the broader community behind the early ed advocacy that's so strong and good and, and I know that they've been trying to do that for years, but it's hence the frustration. But yep. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, that there, there is the big challenge. And, um, and I think it, you're right, it starts with the policymakers and then them helping communicate that message. And, um, yeah, on our side of the fence, we'll be working hard on that. Thank you very much, Kate. That's all we can expect from anyone. And thank you for talking to the Early Education Show. Love it. Thanks, Lisa. So we hope you enjoyed those conversations. Um, I hope they maybe help you process uh, the same things we're processing. Uh, We'll wrap it up. Uh, We just want to do a little bit of news. We are planning on taking the next two weeks off. Um, We were planning to take a week off at Easter anyway. Um, and we thought we might take next week off as well just so we can uh, all have a bit of a break and refresh and, and come back and hopefully talk about some more uh, exciting topics now that the worst has happened. Um, as usual, you can uh, continue to support the podcast in a couple of fantastic ways. You can head, you can directly financially support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash early edu show. Um, this is really, really valuable to us. It means we can keep doing 
the show and and actually do some more sort of fun things and expand what the show can do so we're really grateful if you can if you can do that support um, if you can't uh, we totally understand but what would help still help us out would be if you have an apple device um, is heading to the itunes store and giving us a rating and a review that really uh, helps the podcast bump up in the rankings and help other people find us uh, you can contact the show via a variety of methods uh, you can email us at earlyedgeshow at gmail.com uh, you can also visit the uh, brand new shiny fancy webpage at earlyeducationshow.com and there's a contact page there as well uh, you can find the show on social media or on Facebook and Twitter at Early Edu Show or both of those. And you can find the three of us individually on Twitter as well. I'm at Liam McNicholas. You can catch Lisa at Lisa J. Bryant. And Leanne is at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. So we will be back uh, in two weeks rather than next week. We hope everyone has a wonderful break uh, in the meantime and get some time off um, for those who uh, are you know, working directly with children and families particularly. So until then, uh, on behalf of Lisa and Leanne, it's bye from them and bye from me. Mm-hmm.